Captain. Incoming message. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind. Groovy. Illogical. Hi-ho. Uh, this is me, Kermit the Frog. Hello there. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? I find your lack of faith disturbing. Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. I sir. Not a great plan. Program complete. Enter when ready. All stations, ready for departure, sir. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Hey there, we're those sci-fi guys, and this is that those sci-fi guys show. Just two working dudes, different lives, different jobs, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts. I am T.S. McKay. Fresh with 90s nostalgia coming from the Matchbox 20 concert last night. And you are? I, I didn't step on your intro. I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I'm D.T. Cavman, <laughs> and I was just jamming. We don't you're normally jamming. get, you're... we just normally don't get the music through the speakers now. So, yeah. I mean... I I picked the theme song. I wanted to jam to it. But no, you had to interrupt. You know what I can say to that? Bite my shiny metal ass. There <laughs> <you> are. <laughs> wow, that's like first season bender. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then uh oh gosh. Uh, we talked about this. We have. It was actually the first episode. That was the very first instance that he says, bite my shiny metal ass. Doesn't look that shiny to me. Shinier than yours, meatbag. There it is. I've seen everything. I've seen it all. (laughs) That was Patrick Stewart in episodes with Ricky Gervais. (laughs) I took out some of the more uh, lascivious parts. Is it uh, me? Or is Ricky Gervais just... To Ricky Gervais, sometimes. Um, explain. Because there are a lot of times I see him, like, he's super Ricky Gervais during the Golden Globes, right? But then he has these, like, parts, like, after death or whatever, or afterlife or whatever it is, where he's dealing as a widower, um, coming to terms with with life as oh is that the one where they try to mug him and he's just like no and he hits the guy with a can of soup yeah yeah he just doesn't freaking care by the way that that, that's an amazing scene Um, i haven't i haven't i don't remember seeing that scene but that sounds exactly like what that show would be he just doesn't care i I think i just saw it on a a, a, on a clip like popped up on facebook somewhere yeah, uh, it's so on it was, Netflix. I mean, there's no excuse for us to not have seen it, but <laughs> it is if you're not a big fan of Ricky Gervais. I like his stuff, but he is—he's uh, a lot. He is a lot. He, I mean, he's just he's too very, much. He's very um, sporadic, as what you were alluding to earlier. Like, well, as what I was alluding alluding to, like he's very much in like the Golden Globes, but then he's got these very somber moments. And stuff where in episodes he was a very 
sullen character just trying to make his way through acting. Look, and, and the 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 idea behind it is brilliant. It's just that there's times I hear him speak and I want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> it's like he's almost he can almost go like full British Peter Griffin like where he'll just hold on to a, a bit like a dog on a bone and just won't let go. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 just too much for me. All right. Yeah, I can I can see parts of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, to each their own. So but uh, that that moment in episodes with Patrick Stewart where he's just like, it's too late. I've seen it all. I've seen everything. <laughs> oh, this is where he was, what was he? He was thinking he's like he's the guy who like can take, see everybody he's naked like or something Professor like that. X and control the world with his mind. And he's like, so take so I can I can pull it up on YouTube if I wanted to, but yeah, um, I, I, I'm not I've going to. I'm just saying that I funny. can. <laughs> this is just one of those things where Patrick Stewart just proved he actually has a good sense of humor about himself. Right, right. But then he said that he was he was writing his own screenplay and he found it exhilarating. And he's describing this funny thing where he can control the world with his mind and he wants to see several women with their clothes off. And Ricky Gervais and he and he goes and before she could grab her knickers, I it's too late. I could see everything. And, and and Ricky Gervais goes, so it's a comedy. And Patrick Stewart goes, no, <laughs> it's just a commentary on the world. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, you're the reason why the first two seasons of Picard sucked. <laughs> hey, leave that man alone. It's true. He was. You poop. know it's true. No, it's true. So I'm just saying. Well, he was poop. He was poop in the emoji movie, which was awful and bombed. Oh, oh it was terrible. God. It was terrible. <laughs> I know. I my kid wants to see it, so I took her. We're like, this number is two. We're number two. <laughs> that was funny. That was that was actually clever. That was the only good line in that whole movie. <laughs> it's because you hired, you know, a legendary actor to do it. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So, uh, how you doing, DT? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. Kind of nice to get back. Things. It's nice to be back podcasting more regularly. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more sophistication, I feel like. I don't know. But, perhaps. Um, perhaps, he says. Um. So I got to see uh, Matchbox 20 in concert last night. And it was mm. the ultimate 90s nostalgia. It, was it would have only been any more nostalgia is if Rob Thomas had his Uncle Dave up there selling a Wendy's burger. Wow. Wow. You went ahead and made it cool and turned it into awful. <laughs> but still clever. I would say objective well <laughs> i wish so, i wish the real world would just stop hassling me i know well that's a funny one they played all their good ones by the way and uh oh. they left four of their best ones for the encore of course mm. but um 
it was great because they uh, Rob Thomas he after three songs he spoke to the audience and he was talking about how it was great to be in Fresno and everything and um, how they had canceled the concert three times because of the you know profagration of the thing that shall not be named. We bought Wild the tickets in January of 2020. So <laughs> you do the you, math. You went to see Matchbox 2020. It was supposed to be Matchbox 2020. That's what the that's what the tour was supposed to be. Yeah. Wow. That's what they called it. And then it got canceled for 2020, pushed to 2021 to 2022, and now it finally got to 2023. It would they were supposed to open with the Wallflowers. Like the Wallflowers were supposed to open for them, but then scheduling conflicts happened. Matt Nathanson opened. He was great, by the way. Fantastic. I have um, no idea who that is. You might not. Um, anyway, he's he's good. I knew him. I actually owned one of his albums, which uh, I found surprising. But uh, here's here's Matt Nathanson. The Wallflowers. Isn't that Dylan's kid? Uh, yeah, that's Jacob Dylan. But this is this is Matt Nathanson. This this is a song that made me cry. All right. Well, I'm just that that charted. It was good. Um. But he was, but Rob Thomas was saying that their bass player that day got sick yesterday, yesterday morning, like deathly sick. Like, I don't know what it was. He didn't elaborate, but he, he was like, I can't play. So they're like, oh, crap, do we have to cancel this for a fourth time? And their bass player knew, had a friend in L.A. <laughs> that mm. he called. <laughs> and they, um, they, he was like. Uh, can you play for us, man? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I can. When do you need me? Uh, in four hours. Can you come on up to Fresno? <laughs> so the guy drives up to Fresno right away, learning the whole set on his way. I mean, he's an accomplished bass guitar player. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff he knew, he just needed to know where to put it, right? Or where and when to put it, right? It's not an innuendo. I'm really talking about technical stuff here. Um, and it was it was great because when he brought attention to the new bass player, his name was Joe, the whole crowd just went nuts and started chanting his name, Joe, 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 several well, times. Well, it's a good thing concert. his name was N- Joe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was great energy. It was it was wonderful. We got we got a lot of fulfillment out of that. So that was fun. So well you, I, I understand you saw Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> <laughs> I never asked. She you came how you by that. for. She came by for brunch, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally gonna post videos of of Matchbox Twenty going. This is my era's tour. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, she was born in 1990, I think. So, yeah, she couldn't she couldn't play in 1996. 89, wasn't it? Because wasn't that well, an album title? 89, that's right, because she had that whole album. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. No, she 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 did the whole album about her conception. 
That's I know. that's just oh, I know. <laughs> I just remember seeing her for the first time on TV during the Grammys in 07 and my wife pointed her out going that she's a 17-year-old girl and uh like okay, that's good for her. So <laughs> and that's that's and then we had tickets a year later to see her on her first concert tour. I don't know. Her music was dropping during my first tour in Iraq, so. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was like, uh, oh, hey, she's cute. Yeah. Oh, hey. She, oh, God, she's 15. She's, oh. she's 15. <laughs> what the? That's wrong. All of that. Well, I mean, I, I saw the, the picture that went with the song. I was like, okay, she's an attractive woman. Didn't realize that, you know, until I had to, like, go in Google. It's like, oh, well, who's this new artist who has kind of this neat sound? Oh, my God. Yeah. She's <laughs> she's still in high school. Yep. Technically. Holy cow. Technically. I, th- I don't think okay, she okay. finished high school, but. I mean, how can you finish high school when your album goes, you know, platinum 15 times and three of the songs are about your ex-boyfriend and one of them is about your best friend who loses her virginity to a guy who leaves her? I think you can't really do that. <laughs> the the moral of the story is, everyone, uh, no one is safe around Taylor Swift. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that's the deal. I mean, you, if you're going to be around Taylor, so prepare to prepare to have a song about you, and it's not going to be the one you want, except for Taylor Lautner. You don't know what I'm talking about. I don't care. Cool. Then let's move on. Like the wise man said, I don't care. It's five <laughs> o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock somewhere. As always. Um. <laughs> yeah, we... You should know that the only way to deal with a female adversary is to seduce her. It's not uncharted. You lost the chart. Oh, my. <laughs> this You're is welcome. your second warning. I, what warning? What? I'm not doing overdoing anything. I'm replying to you. Yeah. I would repeat, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. That's a warning right there. Yes, I, I acknowledge that one. So. What are we here to talk about? I don't remember. <laughs> you genuinely don't? <laughs> No, what, what what we're actually here to talk about is <laughs> recently I started, you know, wanting to, to see what kind of, I was looking for a doc, I was in a mood for a documentary this past weekend, and I was just scrolling through, and then I, I came across uh, the center seat, which came out about a year and a half, two years ago, 2021, four, 
the 55th anniversary of Star Trek. And it was an 11-part series. I think it was actually originally dropped on, like, the History Channel or, or something like that. You can now get it uh, on Prime. Uh, but it basically spans the breadth of Star Trek history, for the most part, really, from conception to the end of Enterprise. They hint a little of some of the the, the JJ and the um, recent uh, Paramount Plus Trek shows, um, but not a lot. Um, there was, in fact, <laughs> there was no, there was a lot of interesting episodes and there's a lot of stuff I learned, uh, but it was just like a really deep dive into classic Trek. So, and we did, we did talk about it a little bit last, well, actually a lot last episode, more than we intended to, which kind of brought the idea to this episode. <clears throat> So there's been a lot of wonderful documentaries done about Star Trek, Star Wars, and other sci-fi classics and such. But we're going to talk about some of the better documentaries about some of our favorite uh, franchises. We don't really have much of an order on this, do we? <clears throat> no. No, not a great plan. Some, yeah, it's not. Some of them, plan, though, go, some of these, <laughs> you know, go uh, all the way back to. Ninety-seven. Like, I remember watching the twenty-fifth. I had the the video cassette for the twenty-fifth anniversary. Oh. That was basically of Star Trek, of dropping. Oh. It was dropping, and they had a lot 19, of behind the scenes footage. Uh, there was a lot of behind the scenes of Star Trek VI. Oh, man. Yeah. Dude, so. I still have my 25th anniversary Star Trek um, a collector's card binder. Yep. Uh, the first three that I can recall was that. Then there was the Star Trek's 30th anniversary special that was aired on UPN live 1996 yeah which had a clip of the upcoming Star Trek First Contact movie I don't remember that but it did didn't it yeah uh, which, it was which clip was it it was the Borg queen getting ready to seduce data oh that's right that one also featured a live skit with the with the cast of Frasier basically taking the place of the Voyager crew. But with Kate Mulgrew. Although I guess originally it was supposed to be Kelsey Grammer, but it was. It was the last I, second deal. I think he ended up having to go back to rehab. Like literally TV guide said <clears throat> it was gonna be Kelsey Grammer. Or yeah. something along that line. Like the the article in TV Guide about the thirtieth anniversary special was that. So yeah, but he had to go to rehab. That poor man. Well, you know what can I say? Ah, Silent Bob. 
Sideshow Bob. So be it. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, and then I also had the video cassette for Journey's End. The making of basically it was a the um, kind of this the series wrap up in the next generation, but it also was a lot of behind the scenes footage yep. of uh, all good things. Yeah. Where I also but... guess they also talked a little bit about upcoming Star Trek generations. They did well a little bit, and and. That was the funny part. So in between um, the second to last episode and the last episode, they showed Journey's End. And then after the last episode, they re-aired Journey's End. On Netflix, they had Journey's End after Mm. All Good Things, which I can't find anywhere else. It's It's not on iTunes. I am pissed. I saw it. I rewatched it. What, About Journey's five End? Five years ago. Hmm? Journey's yeah, End? Yeah, Journey's End, yeah. Because I had a crush on the little girl. Not the little girl. She was a. She was, she was my age when she, at the time, when she went to Jonathan Frakes and asked for uh, an autograph. And she said, um, for all the Trekkers, lo- uh, love you, William Shatner. And he goes, ugh. She thinks I'm William Shatner. That kind of joke. So yep. you remember that moment. There's always a moment. Yeah. She was cute. I liked her a lot at that time. I was I was 13. Everybody. I was 13. I want to make that clear. <laughs> also, no, within a within a few months of that, they dropped a making of behind the scenes with uh, Robert Picardo hosting in preparation of the launch of Star Trek Voyager. He did. I remember watching that with my dad and my brothers. And my middle brother was pissed watching that with us. Like He made all the comments. You know him. <laughs> he made all the comments that could have been possible about dealing with watching a Star Trek special behind the scenes well, well why why aren't there klingons on this come on man that's what he signed up for i remember your yeah. brother huge nerd <laughs> that's two no it's not it's not it added to the story keep going it was a little loud i admit that but <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, so, I mean, in the early days, these were all, like, special events. I think the earliest one I can recall, though, might be one of my favorites. The -the behind-the-scenes episode of Reading Rainbow, when Uh, LeVar Burton takes it to the Paramount lot and films on the soundstage of the next generation. Oh, darn. I was going to pull it up, but I can't pull it up. Uh, so I'm, I've had a hard time over the years finding the actual episode, but over the last, every so often over the last couple of years, they've dropped like only the behind the scenes stuff. 
They've cut out all the actual reading rainbow stuff, like where they actually read the story and the kids and stuff like that. So. But here you are, you see LeVar Burton taking you behind the scenes, watching Michael Dorn in the makeup chair. How they do the transporter effect. The transporter effect, which was probably amongst the most lo-fi of their their special effects. I never saw them do that, by the way. My brother did. But uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. It, I, How I'm did they sure do it? They, they poured sprinkles in water. That was basically what they did. Yes, but they also like spun it around or something like that. How the they, hell like, did they spin it? Like they use like a propeller at the bottom or something? I think they stirred it. And then as it was swirling, just filmed that. Well, remember in the TNG show they just dropped they didn't spin oh was that it it was just okay uh they just dropped yeah might be having a little mandela effect here uh but the movies they did spin you're right yeah oh and especially in the star trek 09 that all spun but that wasn't that was not lo-fi tech no that that was was not That was definitely that, that was actually uh, JJ shaving gold into his champagne. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As he's like, what other franchise can I mess up too?" before he <laughs> dipped his balls in it to spin it around? Yeah. And then he took those balls over to Disney. and was like, I can do Star and Wars. Drop them on George Lucas's <laughs> legacy. But we're not bitter, everyone. We're not bitter. No. But I do appreciate the crass humor. Anyway, that was awesome because, I mean, I grew up a LeVar Burton fan from reading Rainbow before I got into Next Generation. That's true. I don't remember if I I knew LeVar Burton from reading Rainbow or TNG first. Well, I can guarantee that it was reading Rainbow first. And... That was just really neat to see because it was like LeVar's like, can I do both my jobs at the exact same time? (laughs) It would actually help me sleep this month. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Made sense. And it is one of its most popular episodes. Has he been given the Presidential Medal of Honor yet? Presidential Medal of Freedom. Medal of Freedom. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. That's why, I mean, you knew I knew it was, there was a different medal. I think Biden was supposed to give it to him, but he forgot and lost it or something. (laughs) That's a, that's a political joke, everybody. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) That man does deserve the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Oh, clearly. For all the contributions he's Or a Kennedy Center honor would be excellent, too. No, uh, I mean, what, the highest honor is the Freedom Medal, right? I'm just saying for his uh, his contributions to entertainment, he's in possibly the greatest miniseries of all time, the main character. That's a good point. He hasn't even been honored for that yet, huh? How is that freaking possible? He's been in TNG. He's been in Roots. He's helped millions of children in the United States, you know, appreciate how to read. 
and possibly Canada. Canada kind of sucks right now, so I'd say no. His lasting <laughs> influence hasn't hasn't been there for a while. So I'm just saying. Um, but but how has he not had any of these awards yet? He was nominated for an Emmy for Roots. Lifetime achievement, something. We get well, something? let's see. I think he did get some sort of lifetime achievement. He has won daytime Emmy numerous times for Reading Rainbow. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm looking at the nominations. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> Emmy. Uh, star on the Hollywood. Won a Peabody for Reading Rainbow. Image Award for Reading Rainbow. Grammy Award. For the autobiography of Martin Luther King, best spoken word album. Hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Emmys as an executive producer, daytime Emmy Groovy. For, for Reading Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Two for Performer. Groovy. Critics, Critics Choice Award, Audio Award. These are oh, all the won or nominated? These are all the wins. Okay. Uh, Okay, and finished it up with a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2022 for uh, Children and Family Emmys. Groovy. Well, there it is. Yes. So. All right, so he's got that. Okay, so stupid Grammys. Great. Awesome. He has a Grammy. He has a Grammy and and a shitload of Emmys. True. I can't say accolades. Accolades. There it is. Accolades. He I does, can't say yes. accolades correctly. Damn it. Right. He's got awards. Give him the props, please. <laughs> that man deserves that medal of freedom. So get it to him. So well, that was your first documentary that you you liked about Star Trek. It it sh- it was the like the first real behind the scenes how you do the special effects like the the, the sets which and was really cool. Yeah. So I remember watching it. I was in New Hampshire. It was obviously a rerun. It was 1993. Uh, and yeah, it was. This was filmed during the first season because <laughs> Niece Crosby was in there. Yeah, she was. I, I recognize that too. Uh, but it was 1993, and uh, I saw it in New Hampshire on vacation, and I had to. I was forced to leave halfway through. Um. My brother, who didn't appreciate Star Trek, watched the rest of it. So, are you telling me that I needed to play the no thing? Because I didn't have it ready, so. No. Nope. <laughs> um, but you did send me the link, and I haven't watched it yet, of all the uh, the good parts of that that episode. Yeah. Which I do need to watch. It'll fulfill my childhood pretty well. Just like. But you don't have to take my word for it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, you know what? And that's probably one of the best parts of uh, uh, the lessons in reading Rainbow. You don't have to take my word for it. Read it yourself and make your own decision. Yeah, you put it back in your hands. I mean, that's that's the key. That's the key to critical thinking. Like another I, great I crossover. That. Independent was, thinking. 
Another great crossover is when LeVar went over to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood and they read a book together. No. Yeah, you can find that on YouTube, this. too. What? Yep. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Do I need to find that? Yes, but right. after. Nope, I'm going to find it now. But keep talking. Don't be mad. Oh, I see what's going on. You're not mad. You're just you're just having a you're having an asthmatic attack. I got you. Don't worry. You're fine. But you don't have to take <laughs> my lungs for it. Uh, well, someone will. Let's see, Lavar Burton, Mr. Rogers, Eric Andre. <laughs> oh God. Here we go. Well. Anyway. Oh my God. Here we go. It's only three minutes. <laughs> Maybe that's Mr. McFeely now. Let's see. It is. Come in, Mr. McFeely. LeVar Burton will be over soon. But here's the book he's going to read for you. Oh, it looks like a good book. Another neighbor on PBS came to visit Mr. Rogers oh, and Kangaroos well, was a pup because they were famous. No. He got his start in a program was about oh, bo- I thought it was going to be the, the thing. Damn it. Oh, it must That's be a clip from like a like a news show. It was. It was it was a retrospective thing. Yeah, you can still find it somewhere. Just just another time. I'm not yeah, it'll be for another time another day. Uh, the Week of Wish meets Mr. Rogers, though. From, you know. Uh, Margaret uh, Hamilton? Yeah, it was her. 1975. That's only three minutes. You want to do that? No. No. It's, it'll, it'll I'll get you, switch. my Freddy. It's going to be another bait and switch, unfortunately. So. <laughs> so. Anyway, that being said. Um. Well, think about it, okay? So, we're only at like 1996, and we've already talked about four separate documentaries. Yes. And the, in the 25th anniversary, they dropped a, a shitload of bloopers from behind the scenes of the original series. Yeah, they did, where we obviously saw the doors didn't work. Which, of course, they referenced in the great Futurama episode uh, where no fan has gone before. Yeah, they did. All 79 episodes, six movies, and the blooper reel. You know, the one where the door doesn't close all the way. <laughs> and mind you, that's George Cat- George Takei saying that. So you can hear that yeah. in its sultry tones. But this is... I mean, these were just things that we watched because we were super nerds and geeks. Exactly. Geeks get girls. Nerds don't. Other way around now. I got no. Nope. 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 Mm. Gonna stand by that one. If you say so, son. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, my. It was going to shut you down. Stop it. Stop it. So. <laughs> anyway, there, but in the 21st century, like particularly with the streaming services and now that with all these retrospectives, now that things have become nostalgic and, you know, the, the thought process and everything, 
the rise of the the streaming documentary is they're everywhere. And right. in the well, everything basic, is documented now. Everything, yeah, well, everywhere, all the time. And then in what was it? The late nineties, or was it early two thousands, where they did Trekkies? Wasn't that it? Uh, yes, they did. Uh, <clears throat> where it was narrated by or hosted slash narrated by Denise Crosby. Yeah, which I saw parts of in my television um television history class at in college and they showed a, a part where denise was interviewing a star trek fan who wanted a first contact uniform and <laughs> you probably remember this scene and it's this guy totally a nerd <laughs> he was totally a nerd but then he was given this costume, which looks pristine with a command red and was the dark. There was the black with the gray shoulders. I love that uniform. It was beautiful. And he looks at it and he's like, OK, this is really well done. It was given to him by a friend who is a good a good um, sewer or I don't know, Taylor. Let's say Taylor. And just a humble Taylor. He points it. Nice. He points out like all the flaws, like the shoulder points go a little bit too far down or the 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 zipper part that opens up goes a little. It doesn't open up far enough down the the chest. And I sat there going, yeah, what a needy little prick. And then I'm going, but he's absolutely correct. That is not an accurate representation of that uniform. I'm sitting here in that in that class go like just going antsy like he's right. He's right. Right? And people are looking at me going, what? What are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I was on meth. I know it was it was one of those things where it's still even in college in the early aughts. It was. Not looked upon. Well, it's I don't know if it's still looked upon well either, but the, it's the more Trek's accessible. Documentary to was also kind of divisive, too. Well, first of all, it was named, sorry, it was named Trekkies. So Which, at, a, at a period where they wanted to be called Trekkers. Eh, just Trekkers just never quite sounded right. They never caught way. on. Never caught on. Trekkies is fine. Or, and, you know, I mean, you, it was used to be. Pe- pejorative. It's derogative. Yeah. And then it was just owned. So. Which happens a lot of times in life when a oppressed. People want to take. Hey, look, man. (laughs) When you're bullied, you take the name you're called and you make it your own. That's what you do. And I'm talking like exactly what I tell my son. Nerd used to be a pejorative. Yeah. And now nerd culture, for basically the last 15 years, has really been kind of chic. Well, it's only been chic because businesses realize they could make money off of it. But now they're trying to change nerd. But it's still now mainstream. Superhero movies. Agreed. Science fiction franchises. And and we can talk about the change in nerd. Actually, that should be the next episode. How nerd culture has been uh, changed. (laughs) Prof. Profitized. Profitized and, and adulterated. Monetized. Adulterated. That's the word. Adulterated. Mm. But uh yeah. Appropriated. 
Mm, no, I, I adulterated is better. I don't know. <laughs> so, but yeah, so uh, so Trekkies was talking about the particularities of the Trek fan and how they have they're very specific in their tastes and everything. I don't remember too much more other than that. I didn't I see seem the to recall thing. that a lot of real fans who watched it kind of thought it was backhanded. You think so? Any specifics as to why? I I, I don't. Well, again, it, but this was the time where they were trying to say Trekkies was not the word. Right. It was 2002 or 2001 or something like that. And remember, they made a second one, which the second one, I think, was also kind of an apology for the first one. <laughs> I didn't. It was a, didn't it was a lot warmer, that. I believe. Interesting. But those were like the first like in-depth, like not done by a true insider kind of thing. You know, because all the other things were like shit put on by like Paramount. Right, right. It's true. Oh, I have to say. Did I interrupt you? Go ahead. Um, I remember seeing a Regis and Kathy Lee segment where they brought on Armin Shimmerman. In full quark regalia. In yes. full quark regalia. I don't remember. Did we talk about this in a previous podcast? No, but I think I've seen it recently. Yeah. Well, I saw it a couple of years ago, but it was it was literally in 1993-92. They're promoting the new Star Trek Deep Space 9 and so <laughs> Armin Shimmerman comes out as Quark, all the full makeup and everything and Regis is like so you're a Ferengi? Is that what it is? A Ferengi? Is that what we're talking about? And and Armin Shimmerman that's, ever that's region stick. That's Regis's thing, yes. Armin Shimmerman ever being the professional is like it's a Ferengi, and we and he's in character by the way. He he's like we we operate with profits in mind. We have rules of acquisition and everything and. And, and actually, I, I don't remember it exactly, but for some reason, Kathy Lee reaches out and grabs one of his ears and he reacts like, like, ooh, ooh, like, like that's called umox. And you, you want to you want to be careful with that. And she's like, oh, really? And she grabs it again, like to be funny. And like and I sat there watching this a couple of years ago going. These assholes are making fun of us egregious yeah i i mean it was no that that's his new name egregious yeah, it really was it was they didn't take it seriously they didn't care they didn't care about the show they were trying to make fun of him and his makeup and everything and they were making fun of his his reactions and i i found it very disingenuous and that was 1993 94 you know i i mean think about that for a second like before nerd culture really took hold. Yeah. Like, and then he comes out and a segment later, 20 minutes at later, and it was like, it took 20 minutes to take it off. That's the fastest it ever took us to take it off, by the way. And then he talks about the production and stuff like that. But um, I, I, I remember watching that just seething with anger recently, like, you know, as an adult now. So you spit on Regis's grave. Got it. He's a dick. Come on. Uh, by the way, he's also a Notre Dame fan. Fuck him. 
So. <laughs> well, it was a it was. So, douche. Yeah. It was a douche move. <laughs> I mean, I always thought Kathy Lee was a big douche anyway. No, she was. She had a better heart than Regis did. Well, Regis was still on his. I think he might have been on his second or third heart by then. Eh, yeah. <laughs> I won't dispute that one. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Daytime talk shows suck anyway. They really, well, they didn't really know what to do with sci-fi stuff when it when it came to promoting that stuff. Research I mean, might have been good. No, no, no. You don't do that kind of research back then. You didn't do that. You were, you were the. Or mocking a guy's hell. chosen profession. That's. I know, but most of the country did that. Yet, yet somehow, yet somehow, the 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 TNG show was a television phenomenon when it ended. It was it was a massive. I I, I guess it got like a thirty share or something in its finale. And Deep Space Nine it, it, was it was, it was like twenty one share or something. The next gen had something like 15 million viewers watch all good things. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a it's, lot. It's ranked in like the top 20 season finales by viewership series in finale. U.S. series finales. Yeah, yeah, in U.S. television history. And to give everyone else perspective, we're talking like 20, 30 shares here. Nowadays, a show that does good gets a 2.1 share, maybe 2.1. Mind you, this was also a syndicated series in the middle of the network era. That's true. So it didn't it didn't get it didn't have a specific time slot. Only a little. So basically, what Star Trek said was, "Kiss my ass." (laughs) Well, I I mean, you saw that you saw center seat. You know why they went with the um uh what is it called? The S word. What is it called? The the uh, syndication. Oh. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you left me hanging. Do I have to do another drop? Stop it. You're not supporting me as your partner here. <laughs> oh, good God. We went down there. Oh, my. <laughs> anyway. So. Daytime television hack. The hosts notwithstanding. Yeah. The ne- the next one of the next big ones was Trek Nation. That was ninety-nine or no. No, no, no. no. Oh my gosh. No, it was like oh seven. I think. Yeah, oh seven. Yeah. They interviewed George Lucas. Rod Roddenberry, the son of Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a deep dive into Star Trek and his father. It was kind of a cathartic thing for Rod because it really was. He, he was exploring his father's life. Yeah, he and learned really a lot of things about his dad. Warts all, and all. We all learned. We all learned what those warts were. By the way, I, I, I still have what, that. It was a philandering, boozing, drug-using dick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I still have that issue when I see him, which makes sense why he he created the world he did, because he created a world that he could never participate in. True. 
But, <laughs> I mean, and they talk about this in the center seat, too, the more you got, get into it. Yeah. But, um, Don't worry about spoiling it. It's just a documentary. Rod Roddenberry really, he said it was eye-opening for him. And, you know, because his parents were older, especially his dad. So he was a young kid with an older family. He was the only child, too, right? Yes. Yeah. And How has he not had bastard children? Maybe How he does. No one knows, though. Oh, my God. No one God. knows. No, no one's come out and said it. You're right. Yeah. There, there must be some. I mean, with the amount of flannering that guy did. My God. Did he have sex with DC Fontana? Ooh, I don't think so. I don't think so either, but. He was banging his secretary slash personal assistant, though. His secretary, like, a week after he got married. It was he, he hooked up on their honeymoon, I think, is something I heard. Oh, yeah, it was like a two-week honeymoon. And a week after they left to the honeymoon, yeah, he did that. And you saw Rod's face when that was explained to him, and he just winces. Yeah. Like, you, can't, you can't blame the man for that. He's not that much older than we are, by the way. He might be 10 years older than we are. Oh, uh, yeah, he would be. I think it was more like 73. Okay, so a little less than 10. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it was fascinating to watch because the guy was literally on a... A, um, a quest, really. 1974. He was born in 74, okay. Because I remember there was there was Christmas video of him as a baby being put in between the nacelles of the USS Enterprise during Christmas, and they were bouncing him up and down, like well, a high high fifteen film or whatever it was, or yeah. high high eight millimeter. It was uh it was fascinating though because not only did he get a chance to talk to a lot of uh people. Um, and he was a production assistant on the Next Generation for a little while. He pr- oh, he, really? he 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 worked as a writer and a consultant on Earth Final Conflict, as he should have. Worked with some of the fan films, and now he's an executive producer of all all the Trek stuff. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's earned <laughs> yet. It's getting well, there, but um. Discovery never should have happened under his leadership, but uh, <laughs> not the way that they did it. It was fascinating. So he basically, this was premiered in 2011, but it took him like a decade to really get this thing off the ground. Oh, yeah. He was interviewing George Lucas while Lucas was in post-production for Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And it was created wanna, uh, as an antithesis to the 1997 documentary Trekkies. Oh, is that what it was? Originally. Where are you reading it, that? From uh, the Wikipedia page. Okay. But, yeah, the, one of the biggest things was he went to Skywalker Ranch. Because he was talking, he was on this piece about... Um, what uh, the influences of Star Trek and what Star Trek influenced. And he literally got to sit down with George Lucas. And they talked. 
it was really kind of nice. And George was complimentary and kind of kind of laid down. It's like, you know, the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars is we're more space opera and fantasy, and you guys delve more into the science fiction. But he also said that he Star Trek was an influence. And then Rod gave him a phaser, a replica phaser, <laughs> to which George said, "If if you, you know, if this had come a few months ago, I would have put it in the movie." Which I'd like to think was a genuine statement from George. I bet it was. It would. I mean, he put everything in the movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that uh, that you know, say what you will about George Lucas, but he is a genuine fan of cinema film and easter eggs fun little things it was really nice and remember that his mother died while they were doing this that's right in 09 yeah she died right after doing her last voice roles for star trek 09 yeah and which, by the way, I didn't recognize when I was in the movie theater, which pissed me off. But here's the deal why that's the only voice I would have ever expected. So it didn't jump out to me. I know. Did I mean, was that the same for you or were you like, oh, no, that's that's the voice. That's that's what it is. Or like, I think it was kind of background noise by this time, yeah, like almost exactly. like expected. But it wasn't it didn't jump out to you like it did with Picard season three. Well, because we've been hearing other voices for years now. Exactly. Exactly. And that voice just you just it just caught in your ear, in your heart a little. Mm-hmm. You're like, Aw. Yeah. Mama's back. Yeah, she is. And, and she's here voice. to bring you home. She's here to bring you home. You treat her like a lady, and she'll always bring you. Oh, out. those are more drops I gotta get. God, darn it! <laughs> Trek Nation was, I think, maybe the first great Star Trek. It was um, very good. It was great. I watched that one was... that I watched. The first great one, like, and and I want to say that by like by production and by information. Like, the Reading Rainbow thing was like nerdgasm. Yeah. You go back and you look at it, and you're like, oh, my God, LeVar on Reading Rainbow is doing this. It was just it was just so fun. And the other things were really cool, especially, like, you know, the, the live 30th anniversary thing on TV was a spectacle. It was very neat. They haven't done anything like that since. No, and they're not going to because it costs too much money. But... Um... It was almost like an award show without any awards. It really was. Until yeah, the end of the sh- where they all got like flags that were like flown in space or something. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. But um, yeah. It was it was So but when this did that, one was like when did that doc late, come out again? Two thousand eleven. Eleven? Really that late? Yeah. I could have sworn I watched it in like oh seven. It seems like it would probably earlier because he interviewed his interview with lucas was so soon after the pre but i mean i i could have sworn i watched it before i had any children i it was one of those things so but i watched it with my wife and 
I feel like that was the first time she realized how much of a Star Trek fan I was. But here's what it was. It was the documentary about the Christie's auction. Oh, I didn't see that one. Star Trek paraphernalia. Oh. And they interviewed all the Star Trek, you know, actors and stuff. And and they showed the results of, you know, the, Michael Okuda going through all the paraphernalia and finding them and labeling them. Oh, he's the best. Certificates of authenticity. He is the godfather of Star Trek. So, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, everybody. But I uh, just want you to be aware we're going to be fine here. So just take a listen to uh, some uh, Star Trek stuff here. Gonna go with uh make it so. of chair Feels almost criminal to uh, interrupt this, doesn't it? Which one is this? When they're coming into the Enterprise D bridge. Well, I hate to interrupt, but we do need to get moving. 2011 had another excellent documentary dropped. 
Yeah, uh, please explain. The Captains. Oh, my God. <laughs> hosted by Billy Shat himself. Mr. Billy Shatner. Yeah, and it follows Shatner as he goes and he speaks with Patrick Stewart, Kate Mulgrew, Avery Brooks, Scott Bakula, and Chris Pine. Yep. And I remember the Chris Pine interview. Let's talk about that one real quick, because William Shatner had nothing but admiration for Chris Pine, because he's looking at this young man, this this virile young man, who comes off of the set in Paramount, not for Star Trek, but it was for another movie. And they're doing this this interview right outside the Paramount gates. Like, you see the iconic mm-hmm. Paramount arches and everything. And And William Shatner goes... This is not just a young man who plays Captain Kirk, but he is a rising star in the Hollywood phenomenon right here. And I'm grateful for his ability to be able to make time for this. I want to say he met he had worked with his dad at one point. I would not dispute that. I don't remember it, but I I, I do think that that was something I think that came Chris up. Pine is like Hollywood history. Well, his dad was the sergeant on chips with Michael Dorn, actually. Oh shit! Really? <laughs> he was awesome. he was Ponch and John's boss. Okay. That, that's Robert Pine. So if you saw his face, you would go, "Oh, I know this guy." Yeah, you. I've yeah, seen him in '80s yeah. TV. Never saw chips, but that's okay. You would still probably recognize his. I face. bet I would. I bet I would. Um, Because his dad had worked in Hollywood as basically a character actor for a long, long time. Right. Uh, But wouldn't have surprised me if he had guest starred an episode of T.J. Hooker. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that was cool. And he and Bakula got to hang out with their love of horses because I think they met at a somebody's horse farm i don't remember i remember bacula just being apologetic for his bacula is very apologetic for his show because he brought up many times about how shatner's crew and cast like really gelled and then he goes "Mm, our cast really didn't bring it the same way yours did and i apologize he didn't even say apologize but it was just like it really didn't bring the same phenomenon to it. Remember I think that? The, yeah. But it, I got the impression that Shatner just kind of liked Scott Bakula. Oh, he just kind of a, that guy. Shatner loves good actors. He loves actors that can do different things. And Bakula can do different things. Anybody I've ever heard has had nothing but glowing things to say about Scott Bakula. Exactly. And Scott Bakula is a great guy. I mean, yeah. Um, I hope he doesn't get canceled for the times that he had to say a certain word in certain period pieces. Oh, which, boy. Right. Yeah. You can get canceled for that. Now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there are a lot of actors nowadays that have said that way back when that you can't say it now. But. Uh, um, the. The most fascinating about part, that with the them. most fascinating one was Shatner 
with Avery Brooks. Because Shatner didn't know what oh to do with Avery Brooks. God. And he you was, know what? Shatner was get, lost. He was, I was lost. <laughs> I was lost. Avery Brooks, Brooks was just on like a different metaphysical plane. He totally was. And, and Shatner's like, I don't know what to do here, guys. He like, literally <laughs> said, I have no idea what, the, what Avery's been saying. But you're yeah. getting like this stream of consciousness, like flow of the universe speech uh-huh. from him. I mean, his own cast members said he thinks like a jazz musician. I get that. I understand that. But the way we saw him portrayed in that in that documentary, that's not the way he normally runs his life. He still pays his bills. I mean, you can't can't get into a zeitgeist the way that he does and and just be naturally a jazz sonic basically you can't do that so but you can clearly see his brain works on another level it does when he which, really lets it go which i think was kind of neat to see because i think he think just he let was it on something could be and maybe I mean, that's kind of his jam outside a lot you know outside of life right i don't i mean i i don't want to think that he was on something but damn, I mean, he was, he was, uh, it was fascinating to he watch. He was a different level of existence in that, in that uh, documentary. Uh, that's, all, that's, that's what I got to say. A different level of ex- existence, really. There, but if you watch him interviewed, and granted, he hasn't done any in years. I'm sure. But some of the some of the other interviews that I've seen of him, he's kind of out there. Is he like William Hurt out there? William Hurt's out there. He was out there. Rest in peace, by the way. Head off. But I don't mean some people are people just really there. out there, man. Like I mean, so their acting puts them in normal space. It sometimes like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I used I was an actor in, co- in high school and in, in college. But I mean, look at Johnny Depp. I man. can't. <sighs> You're right. Depp's, I mean, Depp's just an odd duck. The amount of he- hands, he- uh, neck scarves and, and stuff that he wears. That's true. When you listen to him talk, you're like, dude, you're American. What accent is this? <laughs> An accent of a child of the earth is what it was, <laughs> and that's fine, man. It, I mean, it was just, but it was different. Like, it actually had Shatner off his game, which I actually liked. That was the only time that we saw Shatner just not in control, and 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 genuinely nervous about the through the whole thing. Not in a in a like my life is in danger way. Like oh, my documentary is going to be screwed up kind of way. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah, it, it made the documentary <laughs> better. And then, and then they show footage of of Shatner at a convention later, going, "I just, I just interviewed Avery Book, uh, Avery Brooks for two and a half hours, and there's a couple screws loose there, isn't there? <laughs> or something <laughs> along that line. I don't remember the exact line. I don't want to uh, slander uh, Shatner for that, but he's a different uh, I, level kind of guy." The, the the things that Patrick Stewart and um, 
and Kate Mulgrew laid out like the hard truths was fascinating. Like Patrick Kate, Stewart basically um, confessed to a, a an extramarital affair. Yeah, and Kate Mulgrew he, he basically did, it, and he he and he he was almost brought to tears with the whole thing. He never actually said it, but that was basically what he said. And Kate Mulgrew basically said that she like lost connection with her family. Really? Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, it I, was, I was so brought, I was so torn over the Patrick Stewart story, and then and then disarrayed with the the. <laughs> Avery Brooks situation. I don't remember anything about the Kate Mulgrew. The, the three main captains that Shatner interviewed, like the three seven year captains, had some very deep things that they were yeah. they were t- going through. And, and whether you were on the same plane of existence as Avery Brooks depended on whether what you could take out of it. But you could clearly see that there there was something, you know. He wasn't just fucking around. I've seen everything. I've seen it all. <laughs> no, but Patrick true. Stewart around that time, I think, is also when he was delving into his own family's background. If you ever oh, see, true. like, if you ever there see were... the um, the uh, what was it when he did that whole do- you know, like the documentary where he Who was. Who do you think you are? Right, and he was... I didn't see that, but I heard about it, and then he oh. talked about it in a convention Q&A thing, and that was that was videoed. Uh, well, he, he was, he was a, basically... A, he was a military brat yeah, for a while. And his, and his father had shell shock. His father was... had severe post-traumatic stress, which, you know, led to... shell shock domestic abuse right and then and then the police would come home and be like mrs stewart why would you provoke him yeah and you understand that he has shell shock so there was an understanding of some mental disorder but then they blamed it on everyone around him for provoking him to be triggered right and where... so he hated his father for a long time exactly and then when he found out that his father was literally like the only survivor of his unit mm-hmm it like shook him to the core. Right. And then he started to be able to, he, he was able to forgive his father. In a, to, in a certain way. In a certain way. way. Yes. Yes. He, he said it that way. He, he, he couldn't forgive his father, but he, he saw it in a certain way. And then he was able he, to change. He was able to understand some things, which yeah. enabled him to let go of some of this anger that he had. Exactly. Which which is a good form of closure, by the way. Yeah. I, I mean, damn. Just, when he realized his father was as much a victim mm-hmm. as his mother was. Of a war. I mean, it was it was a victim of a war. Mm-hmm. And the, the most and horrible the, things in humanity. Really? Honestly? Yeah. So, yeah, that was an interesting time for old Sir Pat Stew. <laughs> but that was uh, a great documentary really was I, I just i just i'll never forget the look of him almost crying in his chair in mm-hmm. in at, in his home 
in front of William Shatner. Like, he looked like he was about to cry. Do you remember that? It's been a while, but yeah, I think I do now. Like, that thousand-yard stare, like, if you ask me one more question, it's going to break. Like, so don't. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was... It's interesting because we all look at these actors as, um, you know, role models and, and, and roles of distinction and everything. And these roles took a toll on them, too. Yeah. Like, you know, not, not all, you know. All the regulars. Yeah. Because they talked about in almost every single one of these documentaries in the last 20 years talked about the extremely long hours they put in oh yeah particularly those who had significant time in the makeup chair Mm -hmm. and how they were like like, getting like the script for the start of the episode like the night before or and they're like in the makeup chair when all of a sudden revisions are coming in so oh christ yeah i mean i mean how how is that how is that tolerable I've lived that kind of life before. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Different but, ways, but yeah, but still, you're preparing I mean, it. You're preparing uh, a battle plan. You're preparing an order, and then all of a sudden, uh, a change of the plan comes down in the in the eleventh hour, and you're like, ah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we need to pivot this way, and we lost mm-hmm. this unit for support. And, Humans are creatures of habit or they're creatures of planning. They don't like upsetting their plans. And I, spent, I would say I most spent 20 humans, years learning how to be a top level strategic planner. And right. <laughs> and having all that destroyed. Right. And you have to pivot. Well, you know, the the old saying is, you know, the even the best battle plan doesn't survive first contact with the enemy. So just remember that. <laughs> And that's and that's from centuries of experience with with the army. Correct. So. With any with any military. Uh, but and the documentaries and and I know we've mainly talked Star Trek right now, but oh my God, there were there were they've had the best ones. I mean Trek Nation and then. Oh, well, because Star Trek Star itself Wars, has Star its Wars, almost. Like, is arguably more popular in the zeitgeist. Right. And there have been documentaries. There was definitely a few dropped in 20 or in 1997 when they were doing all the special editions. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of retrospectives. Patrick Stewart was interviewed in one of them. Yeah. Uh, Saturday night live did a whole bunch of like, uh, found, uh, alternate uh casting calls like oh, uh audition tapes which were hilarious it was like uh kevin spacey did it and of course he was a very good impressionist he was doing <laughs> walter Matthau doing obi-wan kenobi he was doing jack lemon trying out for chewbacca christopher walken for Han solo and then of course norm mcdonald's doing Doing Burt Reynolds, doing Darth Vader. <laughs> oh Something I need to find out. I need to oh, they were they were so good. Anyway, continue, please. So, Star Wars has had plenty. Um, in 
2000. When did was the last episode of Battlestar? Was that 2009? Uh, yes, it was. March of so. Leading up to it, there was a retrospective of Battlestar, and how it it had kind of got into the popular zeitgeist and was like pretty big, like very popular. And they had here were people who I remember actually interviewed Brad Paisley. Jesse L. Martin. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I mean, it, Brad Paisley's a huge sci-fi nerd. Let's just go right up, get right out there and say it. He was sitting in the front row of the William Shatner roast. Yes, and, and that's probably why I heard William Shatner say that he was at the Brad Paisley concert the day before, the night before he went to the Adam Carolla show. Shatner was in... <laughs> Like three music videos for Brad Paisley. Was he in It's Always Better Online? He was in Online. He played. He was. uh, Jason Alexander plays like the main character. Yeah, he does. He does. And Shatner plays his dad. Yeah, he does. And Shatner was in Celebrity. So was Jason Alexander. Oh, so when you're a, yeah. Oh my God, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so huge sci-fi nerd, Brad Paisley. Uh, so I mean, it was just, it was just cool. There was, it was a, it was a retrospective of the the, the series, the, the miniseries that spawned <laughs> it, and people were talking about it, leading, you know, some who were actually fans of the old series growing up, but. How it literally had this show had just kind of popped into the the um, pop culture and was a hugely watched TV show in a very highly anticipated and wholly divisive series finale. Oh yeah, totally. Very nice. Wait for it. Yes, yes. Wow. I want to be him. He does want to be him. <laughs> We're getting feedback. Oh, is there feedback? How is there feedback? How is that possible? How about that? Is that better? Cut it. What do you mean? There's no feedback. There was feedback. There was no feedback. Yes. Hmm. I wish you weren't a liar. That was live, everybody. All right, Will Ferrell. <laughs> so anyway. So that one was, was kind of neat. I remember it was I it was probably on sci-fi. But there was they just had a whole bunch of celebrities and people talking about, you know, why they were why they found it interesting, you know, it was was science and it was it was sci-fi and there were robots but they were telling very human stories sound familiar <laughs> weird but what i what i really loved was um disney has done a bunch of the star wars retrospectives as well now um 
mostly exclusive to Disney Plus. Right. Empire of Dreams was a was a story about Lucasfilm in the early days of Star Wars, how it became a huge pop culture uh, phenomenon. Uh, and it's always cool to watch the behind the scenes stuff on Star Wars because of all the things that they did to pioneer uh, special effects in the old days. But uh, one of my favorite Star Wars documentaries is a series, Star Wars Galleries, which was the behind the scenes done uh, of seasons one and two of The Mandalorian. And I think Book of Boba Fett got one as well. Yes, yes, they did. Now, the original one was like eight episodes that that fought, basically followed The Mandalorian, and it did all these. I haven't watched any of these, by the way. The first one really was like them. all about the actors. And so there was a round table with Filoni and Favreau and Pedro Pascal and uh, Carl Weathers and Gina Carano. And they're all talking about, you know, the technology and the acting and how like Gina Carano and Pedro Pascal were like, oh, it's so cool to work with Carl Weathers, you know, an accomplished actor who's been in some big movie franchises and. You know, uh, you, you hear Favreau and Filoni talk about where some of the, the ideas came from and how, like, Favreau is kind of like the, it's kind of like the technological guy, but Filoni's the story guy. Sure. And then they did another episode where they, like, had all the directors in a roundtable. So it's Bryce Dallas Howard, it's Deborah Chow, it's Filoni, Favreau, they're all sitting around talking about filmmaking and when they became Star Wars fans and then they had episodes that followed the the technology of the volume and how they got to shoot in that and then how they built Baby Yoda and the Grogu puppet and how that moved it was really cool there was a lot of neat discussions season two dropped one where basically it shows like Here's the pictures of George Lucas holding Grogu. Yeah. Oh, hey, look, there's people nerding out when Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill actually show up. And <laughs> here's Katie Sackhoff and Rosario Dawson bringing life to animated characters. And that was kind of neat, but it was one episode. And then there was one that followed uh, Book of Boba Fett. And you had Robert Rodriguez kind of doing it. And he showed how... He used action figures to like plan out fight scenes with his kids for for the stuff and how he used some technology to like just camera technology to figure out how to do um, various shots. And of course, there's pictures of like him and Tamara Morrison like lifting on set and then jamming out playing music. And there was a great scene from I want to say it was uh, season two of Mandalorian. I can't remember if it was where it came from, but it was a, a small video clip of Robert Rodriguez sitting there on a log or, or a rock playing his guitar, and then somebody's moving the the electronics of the Grogu puppet, and it's kind of like bopping its head to the guitar. Yeah, yeah. 
they were just really cool <laughs> because you got to see behind the scenes. You got to hear from the actors, the directors, the creators, special effects people. It was just very neat to get into the meat of the new technology and such. And then you got to hear people's like, this is what turned me on to Star Wars kind of thing. Right. So I've, oh, I always found them excellent. My, I used to like sitting down with my kid watching them. Um, I highly recommend them. They're really good from a filmmaking from filmmaking perspective. You get some great behind the scenes stuff. Plus, they're just fun. Uh, but and we're running short on time. But chaos on the bridge, dude. What the hell? Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say that was the documentary that came out of left field for me. That was eye opening. That, I mean, honestly, I, I remember hearing about it first on radio, and God, it, I, I I don't remember when that documentary came out, but I feel like it was like, I heard it on the radio when I was in L.A. right before I moved to Central California, and I haven't listened to the radio in Central California at all. But maybe I heard it on a podcast or something with William Shatner promoting it. But when he said, I wanted to do a documentary on the TNG crew because it was such a successful show, but the first two years were a freaking mess. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, when he said it, everything clicked for me because I'm like, oh, yeah. There's nothing I want to watch about the the first two seasons at all. I mean, maybe a couple like Q Who or Measure of a Man or you know something like that. But yeah. Um, but he was like, but honestly, it was a mess, and the show barely survived those first two seasons. And, when and you I learn wanted to document what, that. What a human <laughs> piece of garbage Gene Roddenberry's lawyer was. Oh my God! What was yes. his name? Leonard Malish or something like that. Malish. It was definitely Malish, but I don't know his first name. It oh God, he was, he was like such he a. Was like a skeeve. Oh, he was. He'd like make notes behind you know writers' backs and stuff like that, like change like, scripts. And take credit for writers and stuff. He would script doctor things, and you got to hear about all the bridges that Gene burned. Yep. Like particularly with people like DC Fontana and Gene Kuhn and some of these people who really put some serious work down in the original series. Like their their and whole the existence is because of Gene Roddenberry. And yeah. these two first seasons just, you know, destroyed all their connections with each other. Like it just, the first two seasons of TNG were just physically destructive to everything that was originally Star Trek. Yeah, everything from the actors of the original series, the actors of yeah. this of the next generation, the the true legends behind the scenes like David Gerald and DC Fontana and all of these people who were really committed to the actual dream of Star Trek, who believed in Gene and came on with him in subsequent projects, only for him. To either turn a blind eye and let his hired stooge run roughshod, 
or he directed the chaos and and just burned people who had some serious loyalty to him. And the interesting thing is, like, it's all done in, like, sketches. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, and, and, and then they also, it's, a lot of it focuses on, like, poker motif, too. So yeah, that's stuff true. usually gets great. around the poker table. It was really good. Well, I mean, poker table was the TNG motif, really. I mean, you yeah. never saw poker in, in the original series. But, uh, it, yeah, it was good. And and then, literally, you're right, exactly. It was, like, all the original creators for TOS were eventually were just like... I've had it with this game. I'm going for a scuttle. And they went and scuttled yes. off. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I had no idea that how tumultuous those two first seasons really were. And then they add were in the writer's strike. Add in the writer's they strike. Were add abs- all the abs- drama. It was then- like it was like something somebody would write to show like a a really messed up version of something behind the scenes of a movie. You'd think it would be like something like Key and Peel would have put out. Exactly. Or, exactly. Or, <laughs> It, then, it almost seems like a satire of itself. All right. We're definitely going to have to go into like a part two on documentaries, right? Are I we? We're going to have to because we we wouldn't do justice to one of the best ones ever made. All right. We're, 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 we're not going to talk about it. But I do want to say talking about Chaos on the Bridge and how awful the first two seasons were with everything. And how crazy behind the scenes everything was. When you see the first episode of season three, which was literally about two months later. After the airing of the the season uh, finale of season two. That was a clip show. It was hot garbage. It was was hot garbage. Yes, absolutely. But but. See episode one, season three, completely different. Cinematography, completely different, and also very solemn and very quiet. There's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of production value. There's a lot. There's good camera work. There's good lighting work. There's good uniform work. They changed their uniforms at that point. Like things look different. They sound different. Things are quieter. Like the music is more tepid. It's a sport. Who's the lead guest star who gets a baseball analogy? Bob Kelso. Yeah. (laughs) And that's true. He was in that episode. Um, He was really good. When I had had really watched that, uh, Dr. Stubbs, he, he, he actually got like scenes by himself. Yeah, he did. And he just sat there, reclined, and then he he basically did a play-by-play in front of the camera with his eyes closed. And, I mean, it was... He would have gotten along with Ben Sisko. There was not... There was not... You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, But there wasn't... There wasn't a lot of drama in that whole episode. There was not a lot of, like, expensive stuff that happened in that episode. Considering that 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 whole season changed the motif of of the whole show which is crazy 
when you think about it, and and you have said that you feel like season three is almost like a separate show. It was. It absolutely was. But it starts so solemn and quiet. It builds. Like it's dipping its toe into the Star Trek water. Well, they show. like they like kind of like you know like almost did a almost like a full revamp of the series. It was. It was a complete revamp. I mean, didn't like last two, year's Doctor. Hey, we brought the first one back. Yeah. Think Wesley's two, shit three. looks awful. Here's him in a uniform. Season three literally looks like something's echoing. Season three literally looks like the 90s. Season two looks like 1982. And they're two months apart. They are two months apart. It almost seems like they're using like a better film quality. Yes, or or different filters or lenses or something like close up lenses or. It just looks more professional. It's really weird, and and you and I will never know what the difference is, but professionals would know. Padded uniforms, bro. It makes everything look better. <laughs> Having a yeah. shirt and pants as opposed to every, being uh, being forced suit. to shrink an inch every day of your life. I know, yeah. Well, it, it, all good things showed that their body their body types never changed. So, by the way, we should all be so lucky <laughs> over the course of seven years. <laughs> that the that hours happened. they work didn't sound like they probably had a chance to gorge on food. <laughs> mm, Jonathan Frakes did a pretty good job. <laughs> Your father made fun of him so much. You know that. <laughs> I do. I do. He's like, oh, bearded guy because he got fat. <laughs> man had know, a bad, the man had a very bad back, though. Yeah, he did. You're right. He did. We didn't know that at the time either. But um, Yeah, well, you know what? He looked like, uh, at least when they were moving to the movies, looked like he got a personal trainer. Will Riker looked ready to rock again in the movies. Not in generations. (laughs) I don't think so. He was just tall. We got to see how tall he was. Hey, you know, those those Deep Space Nine uniforms are pretty slimming looking. A lot of black. Let's just say that Avery Brooks is not as tall as Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> yeah, but Avery Brooks was a he's a he's dude. a massive man. Like, yeah, he was he was, he was a massive he was a bigger dude. Yeah. So would have loved to have seen Patrick Stewart try to try his shit on. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't have worked. They they almost looked like the same build though when you look at them in the same scene for. Uh, um, it's the, the, the uniform padding, dude. It's really weird, right? Well, Cisco looked a little trimmer in the earlier seasons, but like once he allowed to go like full hawk for season four, yeah, like, he looked more jacked too. Like he, he shaved his head, yeah. he had the goatee, and like it's like in the off season he like went and hit the weight room like a beast. Like season three Cisco versus season season four Cisco uh-huh. would have kicked season three Cisco's ass all over the promenade. I hate the idea of it, but 
we all know it's documented that he was told to shave his goatee and grow his hair out, or he had a hair piece, right? Didn't he have a hair piece? No, he he didn't. Have he was a hair told piece. to grow his hair out because yeah. he wanted they want the producers wanted him to look less aggressive. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate that they did that to him. I hate that. I mean, it, he was but not aggressive. On. He was not Season's, aggressive. He gets. Cisco, bald Cisco, got a little bit more aggressive. Well, y- yeah, but then again, I think Cisco with the Defiant got more aggressive. So I mean, it was it was a change <laughs> in the whole storytelling. But I mean, they literally said, you know, shave the goatee, grow the hair. We want a less aggressive looking, uh, you know, commander. Oh, uh, literally, let's just say it, a black man. And come on, what the fuck? Chaos on the promenade. I know. Well, it, there. Did they did they document that in what we leave behind or what we left behind? I I don't remember. They kind of did, yeah. They kind of talked about it, right? I mean, they talked about Terry Farrell saying how how he was such a good actor. She had to tell him, please tone it down. I am so intimidated by you. But that's in the first scene that they acted in. Yeah. Um, you have that. Uh, they did mention some of that. They they also mentioned it in the center seat too. Um, never tell an actor to never tell an actor to just to pull back their 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 greatness. Uh, you just you don't you don't. Well, that was the interesting thing about about Avery Brooks is that he just when he could get some when he could build rapport with you, he seemed to pull you along with him. Oh, he's an alpha. Yeah, absolutely. He would do that. And, Which is that why, okay. yeah, I would love to see him and Patrick Stewart in a room one more time. <laughs> I don't know if that would work. Patrick Stewart is so old. It wouldn't, I don't know. I don't think it would work. We would just be reminded about how old Patrick Stewart is. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, the, the literally the only time we saw Patrick Stewart and Avery Brooks together was by themselves at the peaks of their existence, and no one else could be no. in the same room with them. Peak of Patrick's existence, maybe not not peak yet of Avery's. Well, true. I, okay, a few that's years a fair, short that's of a fair his answer. Peak. That's a fair answer. You're right. You're right. But even like, not at Avery Brooks's six, peak, Ben Cisco was like. I'll gear, I'll grant you that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So imagine. So Avery Brooks, Ben Cisco was not at his peak in talking to Patrick Stewart slash Jean Luc. Can it you imagine what they would have the been like if they had met scene. in first contact? Oh my God. There there would have been blood. Psycho Picard. Like like, and like then not like literal like blood. Not literal Cisco. blood. Not literal blood, but psychological blood. Like psychological cuts left and right, just like oh man, like that—that's why those two actors could not be filmed with anyone else because the screen couldn't hold anyone else. Well, I heard that originally O'Brien was supposed to be in there, but Calmini kept getting nosebleeds and passing out. I wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't <laughs> doubt that. 
All right, well, we're coming up on the end here, DT. Do you have anything else to say? We're probably going to have to go to a part two on this one. We will. Uh, and I do want to mention the passing of another legend who does have some sci-fi cred. Tina Turner. Ah, uh, yes. Thunderdome. Thunderdome. She sang and she acted in it. Yeah, she did. And she is literally a rock and roll queen. Yes, she is. Journey to the Queen. Hats off. Long live the Queen. To those of you and everyone else, we are those sci-fi guys. You guys keep working. We keep... No, wait. You guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. You know what? You can work. We'll dream. Yeah, exactly. Do that, guys. (laughs) So long, folks. We'll see you on Tiger.